Standby like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck. Standby Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A, go. Everybody and welcome to Hang and Focus Live. I'm your host Sean Daniels. Thank you all so much for joining us uh, on this afternoon. Um, I just want to thank before we get even started, really for the support that everyone has shown since our last episode with uh, Ralph went out. You know, when we started this as just a, a way for us to try to talk to our community, I think we had about 2,000 people watch our very first episode. And in the past week, we have had, I believe now, 13,000 people watched um, our episode with Ralph last week. So that's thrilling that we're growing. And it's just, um, we're grateful that we're able to use this as a platform to be able to talk about things that we feel like are important to our community. Uh, we are making a little bit of a change in trying to uh, grow and trying to better the show. So I now have a co-host that is with me. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on Carly Preston to the show. Um, she is a Mac Award winning actress, which if you know anything about Tucson, that is the highest award. Essentially, it's, it's coasting or downhill for her from here, from this moment. Welcome to the show, Carly. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> um, we... We and so, so you should know this actually is not her first time doing it. We pre-recorded an interview yesterday for us to be able. That's going to come out this Sunday with Kent Gash. Uh, originally, yes. we had something else scheduled. We had a really great put together episode about things that people are finding in quarantine, and we just felt with everything that's going on and and our role to try to be a, a leader in conversation that that wasn't the conversation that we wanted to be having at this moment. So we very quickly put together a conversation with Kent and, and Carly is brilliant in it. So I would encourage you when it comes out um, Saturday or Sunday to go ahead and uh, please check it out to be able to be a part of it. Um, before we get started, Carly, I just wanna check in with you. And I wanna just talk about for a brief just moment about uh, where you're at at this moment. Um, you know, um, it's a roller coaster, honestly, up and down. Um, uh, you know, I cry and then hopeful and then anger and then have to like turn everything off. Um, but it's really encouraging, um, to see so many people really, really speak up. Um, and I feel like we're at the precipice of a big movement which I don't feel like we've had before, you know, we'll get this sort of societal anger about things that happened in the past and then it kind of fades away. And I feel like I'm seeing something a little bit different so that there, there is hope, but it's been, it's, it's been a tough, tough week. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, what are you finding hope in just in terms of just that there's a new recognition that there is, people talking yeah. about it that haven't talked about it before all of that all of that um people checking in um people posting action items and tools to to make actual change which i hadn't really seen before and so yes all of that i think i think we are hopefully um going in the right direction yeah yeah um do you, do you have, just before we get started, do you have an action item that you would love to share with everybody just in terms of what I, you think? My, uh, where I'm starting is, is um, talking to the 
theater communities that I am a part of here in Tucson. Um, I am also a part of The Rogue. I'm an ensemble member and um, we are going to have a meeting on Sunday to see how can we do better. So mm-hmm. starting with, with my community and then hopefully grow. Um, and I've been, I started reading uh, White Fragility because um, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure there is a lot, I am biracial, I'm, I'm mixed. And so um, I feel like I have a foot in both worlds, um, but I know that I have a lot to learn too, about my own experiences. So just those little things and hopefully can go from there. That's yeah. Uh, I, I will say, I, I think like for me, I've just been trying to, to do as much listening as I can, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think I like think- my, my first reaction is always to like figure out how to solve something. And that right. is, that, that's actually not what we need at this moment, which is yeah. just to like listen and try to better understand. Yeah, I think so too. But, but, but I also feel like don't, don't get to the point where you, you also don't speak up. Cause I think that's also important, but yeah, listening for, for people out there that are like, what do I do? I think listening is a, and is, is a fantastic start. So the almost one of the most amazing people to continue this conversation with is uh, my friend, Larissa Fasthorse, who is, was just spoke today at the TCG conference. So let's go ahead and bring her on. Um, Larissa is a playwright. She is uh, an all around fantastic person. And she is uh, really one of my favorite people because she is able, I think, to, to create such change and do it with such joy. And I think that is such a skill of hers. Uh, and once we have uh, Hannah Sharif, we'll bring her on also. Hello, Larissa, how are you? I wasn't sure maybe I wasn't supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah, hello. No, you are supposed to be here. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, Hannah's going to be with us in a moment. She was, like all of us, she was in a Zoom meeting that ran long, yes, um, which is kind of how every Zoom meeting begins, right? <laughs> right. Um, Actually, I, I started this one um, having a mint for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I should have a mint. That makes no sense. But here we are. <laughs> uh, Larissa, this is Carly. Carly, this hey, is Larissa. Carly. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. So nice to see you too. Thanks. So, so you and I go back a ways, and we've actually uh, worked on a show together, and I've known you since then. And um, But I, I was so uh, moved by your, your speech that you gave today, really yeah. in terms of the TCG conference. And actually, I, uh, as someone who skipped eight or nine years of TCG conferences, I thought this was by far the best I've been to. Like it felt focused, right. it felt like with a purpose, it felt like really in terms of there was an urgency. And I don't know if it's just that the people in the room were different because you didn't have to pay to be a part of it this year, um, or if it's the work that you've really done to move the organization forward. So just thank you for that. Thanks. Yeah, it really was, right? I was really excited about it. But I think the whole organization, we're in the middle at TCG of um, some strategic planning to completely um, refocus the whole way the mission is, I mean, the the company is run as a mission-based, you know, mm-hmm. plan. And so that everything, budgets, fiduciary, responsibility, everything will go back to mission, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we were just joined by the hey, fabulous hey. Uh, Hannah Sharif. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey. Uh, uh, apologies for running a few minutes late. It's been a crazy day. I, I have no <laughs> doubt. Uh, Hannah is the artistic director of St. Louis Rep uh, and is with me in the class of people who took over theaters 
and we all said this is going to be a year of change in our first year and we were <laughs> correct uh in terms of all the things that were happening um the and you know when i asked both of you on the show i just find both of you both inspiring right i feel like every time that i hear the two of you talk i'm just moved by by what you say and you know what you're frustrated by and, and how honest you are about your experiences um, and it seemed like the perfect thing to have on at the end of the TCG conference. Now, I feel like the, the world is different than it was 10 days ago. And yet you remain the perfect guests to have on the show. Because, uh, you know, I think as we end a theater conference, uh, it's a perfect moment for us to be able to figure out, like, what, what are the next step for us as an industry, for us as a theater? Uh, and I'm, you know, I love to follow St. Louis Rep because there is a very particular group of us that are running theaters in red states that I feel like is a very different conversation from those of our friends, um, you know, that are in California or other places. And it's a different, it's a different navigation, right? If you're really inviting your entire audience into it, your entire audience may not agree with you. And that is a very particular place to be. And what's the responsibility of that? So, um, first things I just love to, to toss to all of you is like, what, what do you think is next for us as a field coming out of this conference? Um, I, it feels like um, it is impossible to divorce this conference from the moment that we find ourselves in as a country, as a nation. And um, that moment, you know, I, I was actually just having this conversation where it's very easy to look back 10 days and say, oh, that was the catalyst. But actually the conditions for this moment of um, in some ways truth and reconciliation uh, began probably in earnest with the onset of the global pandemic that I feel um, in putting us in our homes and putting us in this place of, um, of, of um, some might call it stagnancy, but I call it stillness, was the beginning of the seeds of reflecting um, and reflection and rebirth that we saw happening you know, in our uh, environment. I love watching the pictures as the weeks went by of pollution going away in some of our most polluted cities, the earth starting to um, uh, uh, rejuvenate. And I wondered how that would manifest itself in human form as I watched it happening in nature. And so you fast forward to the national crisis that we find ourselves in. We fast forward to the protests that um, started in one or two cities, but are now in every major city in every state and has moved on globally. And the unification of the voices around um, this demand that we reevaluate our values and realign ourselves with nature um, that I think also showed up at the TCG conference, right? And being able to speak really honestly about the foundation that our field was set in and the structures that, you know, Sean, you've inherited one, I've inherited one that have been problematic for a long time. Um, and not just in terms of issues of EDI, but even in the solid fiscal foundations of our institutions, that all of it has been built 
on this kind of crumbling foundation. And that the first step to actually rejuvenating is to allow some things to fracture and some truths to be told and for some very difficult conversations to come to fore. And so as challenging as this moment is, I also see great possibility in it. And that's what I walk out of this conference um, looking towards, which is how do we actually use this moment to begin the process of rebuilding on much more solid ground? And how do we make sure that it doesn't become business as usual 10 days from now? Yeah, right. Um, you know, I, uh, I was one of those that was pretty pessimistic at the beginning of all this for our field. Um, you know, I, I was talking to a lot of managing and artistic directors around the country, you know, when, when COVID first hit. And at, at the beginning, it was all about getting back to normal. That's all people kept saying, get back, how, we gotta get back, we gotta get back, we gotta get back, preserve the building, preserve my salary, <laughs> you know, get back. And um, I, you know, I have to say as horrible, you know, horrible as this pandemic has been, um, the one thing I can say out of this is for our, our field, probably just a month later, now that seasons have been whole seasons have been canceled and all of next season has been canceled and the summer, you know, so many things have happened. Um, it's really exciting for me to be talking to quite a few artistic directors, mostly folks like yourselves who are new at an institution and inherited perhaps some problematic systems that are calling me and saying, Hey, you know, what do we do? Like, what can we do this year? And I was like, you've got the perfect year. You get to just listen and you can spend an entire year listening. And yes, you have to fundraise and do all the things, but you don't have to go to tech and you don't have to give notes and you don't have to go to 10 workshops. You don't have to do any of that. So you can listen. And that's what I'm really encouraging um, folks to do. And I'm really excited about how many people I've spoken to that are, are, are doing it. They're like, great, yeah, this is the first time I've ever had to just contact community members, contact people you started a relationship and really make it a legitimate, equitable relationship that they've never had before. And so, um, I don't know what's going to come out of that, but I'm just really excited that so many people in our field, artistic leaders are excited to just spend a year listening. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think there was a level of, if I'm honest, like listening that was hard for me as like a straight white guy in that conference that I don't know that I would have had the room to do if we were also producing and planning and probably had a workshop and two donor dinners and it would have been here in Phoenix. So we would have had, you know, like a thing after thing. And it was like, no, actually the, the job is now just to listen and to, to figure out like what your role is in it, what your organization's role is in it and how do you adjust those things? And what, you know, what do you do with that information afterwards that I think wouldn't have been that I don't think that would have been possible in a different scenario. Yeah, I think that's such a wonderful point, you know, because everybody is like, well, we're a theater and we have to bring people together. I mean, that's what we do. And in this time, we're unable to do that. So I love that idea of taking this time to maybe even just focus within the company and how do we change within and grow. I think that's really wonderful. So for, for St. Louis Rep, what what happens, what happens from now with all of this, with this great moment and, and your great vision? You know, how does this, how does this moment affect you and your staff? Well, we've, it's been, um, it's been a really interesting moment to reevaluate all of the practices. We are still working and we actually just announced today um, that we are delaying our season. 
let our subscribers know that. Um, we're still working to produce a partial season of um, late winter into spring. And, and it has allowed, I think, space for the institution to think critically and differently about certain processes that we weren't ready for four months ago. That this um, pandemic and the devastating effect it's had on the status quo for our industry has forced us to think in really innovative futuristic ways. And it's been so exciting to see doors that were previously firmly shut in the minds of some of the folks um, who are critical to the work start to open. Um, and I think that it's not just about opening for this moment. How do we get through this season? It's about how do we think differently about the possibilities of how we do our work? And I, I'm someone who thrives on that type of innovation. And I find those conversations to be revelatory. And it's been um, really gratifying because I think this challenge has really strengthened the bonds with many people on the staff, both those who have been long tenured and the new staff that have joined in the last year, because we're all working towards the same goal, which is making sure that we can continue to serve our community. And once everyone recognized that that's going to look different in the future than it did in the past, um, it became a really fruitful, difficult, challenging, but exciting uh, work environment, virtual work environment for us to be in. I'm really interested in how you guys are approaching these same questions. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think maybe similar to, I don't know for sure, you know, for you guys, we're a, an organization that almost closed four or five years ago, right? Like very publicly had to do a campaign to keep the doors open. And I think from that moment has never truly re-envisioned how the organization works. We just kind of like got enough money at that moment to like keep going and we didn't have to close, right? And that's great. But I think what we're trying to do now is the, the work of like, who do we want to be and what size is healthy for us and what allows us, you know, I think financial conversations drive everything in this organization. It's, it's like the first and last conversation that happens. And I think like that stops us from being mission-based really in any way. Like it really, you have to kind of fight to be reminded that it's not, it's, you know, we, we it's not a cash flow conversation every day. Right. And so I think, this is really giving us the opportunity to reorganize it. And, and what I feel like, and I hope is, is a real way to come out as a healthier organization to really, you know, we, we do six plays a year in two cities and we run a very robust summer program. So like when I first came on, everybody had their great ideas about like how we could change the organization and they were all correct. And we never got to any of them because we're just doing so much. And, you know, when you're fundraising, to barely keep it all up. That's the, that's, you know, and I, and I don't mind, I love fundraising actually. I don't mind that at all, but it, it's not a, it's not a short thing that you do each day, right? It's about real connections with people. So I think like we finally have this moment that we will hopefully never have again to really just have, just have some real conversations about like, where do we want to be? What buildings do we want to be in? What, how do we, how do we best serve our community? Who is our community? Um, you know, we started, a strategic planning campaign 
that is almost made up exclusively of new board members who are coming on, ones whose terms start in July. Um, and I think like that's really exciting because that's a new blood for us to be able to do. And uh, it was great. The edict from them was like, people come to this theater because they want to be challenged. People come to this theater because they want to talk about it on the way home. You know, we need to be making sure that we're pushing the envelope. And, uh, and um, to be honest, that's not the direction I got from the board a year ago. You know, when you, when you come in and there's, there's financial trouble, nobody says like, let's push the envelope. Come on, do it. You know, everybody just says like, make it work somehow. And so, you know, we're trying to use it to have those conversations. And just also, I think for, for all the different structures that we have, like, how could it be better? How could we involve people? And I think, so, you know, I think, but you're right, this would never happen. I mean, we could do a retreat, right? We, as an organization, we could do like a three-day retreat and that would all feel great. But like, I think the thing we're trying to do takes months to reimagine. I mean, this is our 52nd year as an organization, right? So we, we have been doing what we've been doing for a long time. We've been traveling to Phoenix since 1980. And so, you know, that there's a, a lot of things are entrenched and a lot of things maybe are, make great sense, but we don't even maybe fully understand why we do them, right? So for us to be able to, to dig into those, and even if we end up doing the same things, I think we'll have a better understanding of why we do what we do, why it's important to our values, um, you know, we're going to redo the mission statement. We're going to redo the values. We're going to figure out a way for that to really be a living thing amongst us. And so I think like that, that is the work, you know, when we come out of this, we will be stronger for it. We'll be a smaller organization. I think that is, that is definitely significant. And that's not, that's not, I think different from anybody else. You know, I would imagine we'll be 30% smaller than we were at the end of last year. And I think like, but that puts us in a place where we can then be nimble and we can respond to our organization. And I think that's, that's the work that would have been so hard to do if we were, if I was, you know, talking to you right now from the middle of our summer program, as we were in a workshop and as we were doing casting for our first four shows of the next year. Uh, so let me ask you, Larissa, what's, so what, hap so what happens in this moment for independent artists? Uh, While the rest of us are having these great conversations. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a lot of them are, um, you know, working in grocery stores. And uh, my grocery store is full of artists right now um, who've been there through COVID and literally risking their lives um, because we've got no, you know, artists don't have um, any safety net. So, um, and playwrights don't have any insurance. So, you know, there, there's just, there's nothing. Um, I'm fortunate, you know, for personally, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, um, some crazy reason, thanks to Thanksgiving play. Thank you, Hannah, and many others. Um, I uh, took this year off of new productions because um, that play was playing in 20 cities. So I uh, took a year to just create work. So for me, it didn't matter. I could just, I'm, I'm doing what I was gonna do. <laughs> I'm writing scripts. And I, and I also just got back into film and television this year. Um, so, you know, financially I'm fine, but I will say it's, you know, we're gonna lose a lot of people from this field, I fear. Um, people have to stay alive. And, you know, the people I'm talking to, my fellow um, theater artists, I mean, it's, it's dire. They're losing their homes. They're homeless. They, and they, again, don't have insurance. They lost all their, you know, a few theater companies. Like I, I know you all were both companies that gave people their weeks of insurance and stuff, but, you know, so many didn't. And, or, you know, they gave them for the ones that they were cut off of, but then there were all these jobs lined up for the rest of the year that didn't happen. And so, um, we're leaving our theater artists completely out in the cold. I mean, they have, they have no income. They have no, you know, um, 
insurance they have no future you know and uh people are you know i appreciate there's a lot of these 200 300 400 little commissions going around but that's not that's not half a month's rent you know that's and, and there's only one for each person and it's just it's been it's dire and I, I just don't know any other way to say it and um you know once again it's making as as covid for our whole country made us kind of have to look at um class structures and and the fact that um, earlier today um, on a plenary I was on uh, a woman from the Navajo Nation was saying she was hearing from a family there's 19 people living in their home that's very common 19 people in one home if one person gets COVID the entire family is gone 19 people they can't isolate they can't even isolate you know a room they can't even give someone a bathroom up there you know there's just nothing they can give that person of their own space when they live like that and um, as I think COVID illuminated those structural inequalities, I feel like um, what's now happened in the theater field um, is just further illuminating the structural inequalities. Um, you know, I'm tired of, I'll be honest, I'm tired of being on talks with artistic directors who are sitting around with a salary and, and insurance and their whole staff and talking about how we're keeping the staff and they think we're gonna cheer for that. I was like, well, you're keeping the staff, but the artists are, what are the artists, you know? Um, you're keeping the building. I can't tell you how many people have told me about like, yeah, but we got to keep the building. And I was like, I don't, but there's going to be no one in it. Like, what's it for? It's going to be a tomb. And I don't understand um, why we're fighting for a tomb. Um, that's not the business I got into. Um, it's not the business I want to be a part of. So I'm, I'm definitely having a, an, an issue with American theater right now, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's, you know, there are, there are certainly people who are doing things here and there, but as a field overall, um, people are just falling through the cracks and, and I'm really scared for them. Can I speak to, you know, this idea of like the kind of structural inequality that is resonant in our field? I mean, I've been having this conversation with um, other folks as well. We don't ever talk about it, but the there, there's work that the unions have to do in terms of better protecting members. I mean, I'm a member of a union um, and, um, you know, healthcare is a real, is, is one of those real um, shell games, right? That the whole system depends on lots of people paying into weeks that they're never going to be able to check out and that only the kind of top tier will ever make enough weeks to gain healthcare, but that's being subsidized by all the other artists that do one or two shows a year and pay into that healthcare system, but never get to check out anything. And um, I know there've been conversations about it in the past that have really gone nowhere, but I'm also hoping that this moment is not just a moment that individual theaters are doing that reevaluation, but also that the um, unions that all artists are paying into to support and protect are really rethinking those core systems as well. Because we don't live in a country that um, provides equitable access to healthcare. And I can't tell you how devastating it is and has been my entire career to know people who are three weeks away from being able to have access to healthcare for the next season. And, um, and that, you know, there are times where it's like, well, we can just put that person on contract to get them there and that's rejected by the union. 
it's just, it's a complicated, complicated um, matrix of systems and all of them need to be reevaluated. Because I do think that this moment has really um, surfaced how unprotected individual artists are in our field across the board. How yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I just want to say yes, absolutely to all of that. And um, also to, um, yeah. And, and, and just throw in playwrights too, since we can't have a union since we're owners. Um, I've had in my career and I've you know made a career full-time as a playwright probably nine, 10 years now. Um, I've had one company in that entire time pay for healthcare for me. One, that's Playwrights Horizons, that's it. Just throwing that out there. How, in your opinions, uh, do, do we as an industry and even as a society go about making those needed changes? Because I, I, like, I feel like a lot of people get trapped in the like, well, what, what is it I need to do? Um, do you guys have any, any opinions on how the theater industry or even a larger, the larger community in and of itself can help those changes come about? I mean, we're talking about structural changes. So, you know, it's not as simple as we tweak this and all of a sudden this is fixed. You actually have to go to the foundation of the systems. Um, you know, there, there's some part of this that is part of this kind of like national complexity of healthcare. Uh, I don't know what it would mean or how the system would work if instead of paying into the union's healthcare system, the individual artists were provided some type of healthcare directly from the institutions for the time that they're on contract and that, you know, there's some synergy between going from job to job. That still means that when an artist isn't working though, when they're not on contract with an institution, what happens during that gap? I think that it's a really complex question, but what it is going to require is for us to be willing to break open everything. Everything has to be on the table if we're going to solve these issues. It's, 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 it's currently theaters pay healthcare every week to the union. And then it's the union's problem, right? That's the way the system is set up. The question is what happens if you break the, um, break that all open? What if that isn't the only way that it can happen or the primary way that it can happen? What if there is some hybrid system? But what it means is that everyone has to come to the table collectively ready to say, here's my, here's the part of, here's what I'm willing to give up. Here's what I'm willing to give in order to make this system more equitable. And I think Sean, what you spoke to is really important and critical. If every conversation is fundamentally about the financial bottom line then everything feels like it's moving from this scarcity mentality, which means that because we're moving from a space of scarcity where we don't have enough to, we don't have enough to keep the doors open the way we have kept them open, then we couldn't possibly have enough to think about taking care of these other people. And if there's a, a sense of, if instead we're moving from a space of abundance where it's the structure we have, we can't support, so maybe we need to right-size the organization with mission. And part of that mission is the ecosystem 
of the way we support artists too, right? Unfortunately, I don't think it's a thing that a single institution can do alone because of the way the matrix works. We actually have to collectively decide that we're actually gonna put all, there are no sacred cows, everything's going on the table and that we're going to rebuild with a system in, in, a, in a synergy of principles. And I, we're not there yet, but it seems like that's at least a conversation worth having across the field. And such yeah, a crucial- yeah, I was just gonna say values, you know, for sure. Cause that's the problem, right? Is that our values, um, can't tell you how many times I've looked at a production budget and I'm like, do we really need all of the, all of this <laughs> to tell the story when I know that this will pay for, you know, uh, the way like Playwrights Horizons does is they just give the money directly to the artist for a year of insurance. Um, and it, I think it costs them between 30 and $40,000 a year for all of their playwrights. That's it. Um, and, and, and I, I look at these production budgets and I'm like, Huh, so I get it. Like someone was just talking about your, your budget is your values, right? So I see these huge budgets for these things and I'm like, you know what? We could tell the story without those things and give an equitable wage or insurance or something to like 10 artists for this one production. Like it's crazy how much we, but our value is on this production. We talk about production value, but our value is on this like production value instead of humans. And that maybe is what theater is. And then I'm just in the, I just maybe realizing I'm in the wrong field. No, I'm, I'm really taken by the idea that it can't be done by one organization, that we have to somehow come to a collection together. I mean, I was running a theater and my wife is an actress and uh, I, you know, so I'm paying into all this insurance when I realized that don't be an actress and have a child. You know, like the insurance is not set up to support you in that first year because you have to get a certain amount of weeks to be able to keep the insurance. And actually, if you add a child to Actors Equity Insurance, it's like nine hundred dollars a month, right? So, so in some way, it was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge part of the same system that now I'm also suffering from in terms of like she gets her insurance through Equity, and now because the way we all pay into it, like it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage anyone to have a child unless you can figure out some other way to do it right and so I, I i can't fix that just from my organization it probably takes all of us to be able to figure out how how do we really if we say we encourage families that's a very very different conversation about how it all works i think the idea of coming together goes for everything anything that we see that needs change we all need to come to the table collectively and work towards the change that we seek. And everyone has to be willing to give. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is really hard, especially because there is this notion, I personally think find it to be a false notion because I think it's out of alignment with nature, but there is this notion that there's never enough there's not enough to go around. There's not enough to keep, there's, you know, there's, there's not enough. And that we have actually created a very high level of expectation with our audiences, right? Like it, you can make a play for less than, you know, $400,000, but what has your audience been groomed to expect? What are they placing value in? 
And how do you reteach? Not that it can't happen, but that everything is actually a process. And I think the thing that you spoke to, Larissa, about values is incredibly important. We talk about values, but there is a real disconnect across our industry and no one is exempt, no one, from the gap between the values and the missions of our institutions and the actualization of that. And that's not because we aren't all good people trying to do good things for our community. It's that we actually haven't retooled the systems that fail to allow us to actualize those. So until we get down to the root, this just becomes, you know, it's a weed that you keep pruning but can't keep up with. <clears throat> and my hope is that this moment actually becomes about shoveling into the roots. And I think that's why some of those conversations this week were really uncomfortable. Because in order to fix it, we all got to get a little uncomfortable. And it's going to be painful. And that's not in alignment with our expectation of what theater is, right? Yeah. Can I, can I ask a question about the third rail of being an artistic director? Uh, can we talk about boards for a moment? Um, I know. I know. I'll, we'll come up with a safe word and everyone just say it if you don't want to talk anymore. Um, but I, I got up early this morning because I was like, there's there's a, thank you, East Coast Conference. There's a, a conversation about um, boards. And I feel like that is, I feel very lucky to have a board that has a lot of incoming people that have very kind of, I feel like I'm on the same page with them. They've They've served on other boards. They're like ready to do it. But for me, I feel like, and you're, you both have boards and are on boards, right? And, and Larissa works with boards. And um, but I feel like that is the conversation that is missing from all of this in terms of how, you know, from EDI work to how do you convince them of what their values are? Like, ultimately, it starts, I feel like, my experience with them. And they are so often not part of the conversation about all these great conversations that we're having. I mean, there's like a really great dinner at the fall forum. And then, but like at really how are we, you know, it, when we talk about educating ourselves, I mean, as I sat through so many of these conversations, I was like, honestly, if we were going to really change our organization, it would have to be my entire board that was sitting through this conversation to be able to be a part of it. And so I, I don't know if you have thoughts about that, but for me, I feel like the average person doesn't understand what boards do. And then once you get into it, you realize like, oh, your audience always ends up looking like you're bored, right? In terms of who it is, because there's a shared sense of that, like in some value way, like that's where the values start, right? They select the artistic director, they select the managing director, they, they do your year end review. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you have thoughts about it. We could stop talking about it or we could get into it. But I'm, fasc I'm fascinated by it because I feel like it's the thing that we, we don't talk about in these conferences. And I feel like if you want to, like, if you really want to revolutionize organizations, why would you not talk about the people that are theoretically in charge? 
I'll just say a little, I, I don't have a lot of experience. I mean, I've been on a board for seven years, but I don't actually have a lot of experience with boards, except as I, now the world knows, I have some really cool experiences with board members and I go to theaters, um, as I put on the chat this morning. But I, I will say as someone, you know, who when I joined the TCG board, I, I actually had no idea what a board was. <laughs> I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what they did. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. I had some fantastic um, mentors, uh, like Diane Rodriguez, who helped me out. Um, and uh, I will say, I, all I can all I can say as someone who's never had to be in your positions of you know being hired by a board and, and all of that business, um, it's been fascinating to watch Teresa Iring, who's the executive director, or she's now called CEO. I can't remember, CEO of I can't remember, we changed her title just last year um, of uh, TCG. You know, she's the head of TCG, say, and 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 a board member, and um, it's been fascinating seven years to watch the board completely change. I mean, it is night and day from when I started seven years ago. And that has been um, endless, endless, you know, intentional work on Teresa's part. And it's, and what you're talking about, Hannah, it, it's, it's a, it's a process, it, you know, in seven years, it's hugely different. And I know she started this process three years before that, you know, it's been 10 years of, of working, of, of getting the right allies and, on the board and 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 getting us to you know work together and keep finding the next board members. It, it is I can't believe. I mean, when I got to that board, it was just all the old white guys, you know. And it was in this what we used to call colored corner. Like there was a little corner at the end of the table where all the people of color like hung out, and then the rest was all the the white dudes and a couple of, and a couple of white chicks, and that was it. Um, and just watching like what an intentional process it is, is has been really fascinating for me and seeing what a long process it is, but that, and that you have to constantly be at it all the time. Like your mission needs to be to change the board and get them on mission, you know, you have to clearly articulate. And I also started right when we had a new strategic plan um, at TCG. And so we were able to galvanize around that and everyone agreed to that. So now that gave everybody kind of the weaponry to say, okay, we've all agreed this is a strategic plan this is our mission and we could just constantly keep pruning and pruning away the board until we got to enough people that were in that and and there were some tough conversations with people that were clearly not interested in the new direction and and we had them as fellow board members you have these allies and we had them and said you know i think it's time for you to go like this is the where the train is going i i, I don't I, I think it's not your train like and and they left and um it's tough though it's, it's a hard thing i don't know how you all do it but just from being on the other side watching it, it's been really fascinating how intentional and constant it has to be for work. You know, I think the boards at, being a board member can be a pretty thankless job too, right? Um, <laughs> many of our board members are, and I'm, I'm not talking about uh, St. Louis specifically, I'm talking about the regional theater, but like New York board members are coming from the corporate world. It makes complete sense that the focus will be on the finances of the institution. Um, I have uh, throughout my career run into board members that um, struggled with the concept of nonprofit, even as they sit on a nonprofit board. Um, but I also think that many of them love the theater. That's why they do the, they, they serve in that capacity. What I think has been a challenge for our industry is that um, our boards have been disconnected from the evolution of the field. And so you have board members who have served for 20, 25, or 30 years. Um, and because our institutions weren't necessarily keeping up with the evolution of the field, and our trustees were not part of any of those national conversations as the field 
evolved, there's now a disconnect between the expectations of the industry and the, the, the stakeholders who are making fundamental decisions for the institutions. Um, to speak specifically of, you know, my predecessor served 32 years as the artistic director, 34 years with the institution. Um, and really the national reputation of the institution was built on his back and on his work and on his life's labor. So here's a board that, and, and my, my current managing director partner had been at the theater for more than 32 years as well. So at the time that they went into a search for a new artistic director, um, had these two men, white men, who had been serving in executive leadership for more than three decades. And it's somewhat unbelievable <laughs> that a board that had that leadership model for 30 years had the insight to think about where they wanted the theater to go and to choose a candidate that was the exact opposite demographically from who they had. Um, and I, I, I kind of come into every room pretty clear about who I am and what my values are and what I'm showing up to do and why I do this work. And so I have faith that their selection of me is an indication of their hopes for the future of the theater and for the role that that theater can play in the community that it lives in. So I buy absolutely the good intentions. The reality is we're an institution that had not gone through an executive leadership shift in more than 30 years. And so no one actually knows how to do it. No one knows how to make the change or what that transition support necessarily needs to fully look like, or we know where we want to go, but we don't quite know how we're going to get there. And we don't know what type of um, new muscles we're going to have to build to do that work, to catch up with the industry. And we haven't been primed to work for the institution in the way that evolution and the goals of the future require. And so, you know, I, I think that um, I have a lot of hope for what's coming. But there are no good systems right now, even for institutions that have gone through executive leadership shifts. There's no good system for preparing the trustees for the work ahead. And quite frankly, they depend on the search firms they spend a lot of money on to bring in executive leaderships to prepare them. And those search firms are not doing that work. I'm not sure the search firms know how to do that work. Um, so again, it's systemic. It's bigger than just who's at the table. It's, and I think when you do have younger, more diverse folks at the table, people who are coming from backgrounds outside of being lawyers and, and bankers, um, that when you have a board that has some community agency in it, that has artist voices in it, that have people who are coming from many different professional backgrounds, they're the lens that they see the work through shifts. And I think the more diverse views you have at the table, the stronger fundamentally the choices that are made for your institution uh, and, and the, the possibility for the way you can reconceive the work. Um, I think all of that's strong, made stronger by 
um, a really diverse slate, multi-generational slate of board members. So I don't know, I feel like um, I can accept that some people are doing the best that they know how to do across our country. And that part of the job is to teach folks how to do the work better. And those who don't want to be part of it to provide graceful ways for them to exit and for someone who's eager and understands the urgency of the work to step into their place because they're gonna roll up their sleeves and do the heavy lifting. That's my sense. Yeah, I, uh, you know, in the like whack-a-mole of running an organization in transition, I think just it's really become clear to me like, oh, my first things first, I need to start with the board. I need to work with them. I need to, I have a lot of great people, but to your point, they come at because they enjoy the theater. They've loved it. They want to help. They're kind of showing up to say like, what do we do? You know, and I, and so I, I need to be more of a leader with them in terms of helping them to figure out like, how could our board be best? You know, I mean, you, you all, like, you always have to manage your boss, right? Like that's just part of like how life works. And so like, I, I have to start doing that more, right? I have to figure out how to like take all their great intentions as you talk about all their expertise that they come in, like expert marketers, expert financial minds, deeply connected in the community. I mean, like, right, like they're on this board and they have a lot to offer. And, you know, I, I guess I have to, I have to figure out like ways that I can better help them to, to service the mission of what we do, right? And probably first thing just comes with like clarifying what is the mission we do, right? And then everything falls into place after that. And I think also knowing that our predecessors weren't necessarily as transparent with the boards as they could have been. And maybe the expertise were not, was not always engaged. They weren't asked to leverage their expertise always for the institution. And so um, I found that by inviting people in closer to the work, it's been illuminating. You know, mm -hmm. there have been board members who've been on the board for a very long time. It's like, oh, I never understood how that worked until now. So I think that there's something about the value of transparency across our institutions that could be really helpful with boards as well. I, uh, I got trapped in an airport with the board president from Actors Theater of Louisville and I was the associate artistic director. I'd been, uh, the, I'd had the job for six days and um, we got trapped at the airport and only after like hour four, of being stuck there, he was like, all right, I'm gonna ask you some questions and you can't tell anybody that I asked you this. And I was like, okay, yeah, what if, this is gonna be deep. And he was like, what does a lighting designer do? And I was like, oh, and he was like, why does every show need three and a half weeks of rehearsal? And I was just like, oh, wow, you, you're the board president. You, you wrote a big check, you came to some parties, you said you were nice, you wanted to get involved, you love the theater, you know, and then now you're, now you're, in, you're theoretically in charge of the whole thing. And you only in a moment of like, this is kind of before we all had iPhones, right? Or he just would have been on his phone. But after four hours of boredom, finally asking all the questions that he wanted to know, right? So there's a level of like board training to like, how do you, how to not accidentally end up in charge of a theater, but to really understand how it runs. Because to your point of like insurance weeks or individual artists, like I'm not, we're not going to ever get to that question if if people don't understand what a lighting designer does, right? Like we are, we are so far away from really busting open the problems. If our level of education is, we're not even doing the basics, right? In terms of like, who are the people that are in the building? Yeah. Can I just say also as from an artist's point of view, I can, I mean, you can tell the difference. Like I go to theaters where like, 
there's board members, you know, at the meet and greet and they know everything and they're in there and they're taking me out. They're like lovely people, but not in a token way that some people are talking about, but they're just really like super fans, but they're also so embedded in the entire organization. I've been, I was at a theater once where it was like two weeks in, I, I thought this person was a staff member and turns out he's a board member. Like they're just always around and, and helping like and doing stuff and like bringing us cookies and coffee. And like, I mean, it's just, it's, you can really feel the difference as an artist when you have boards that are completely a part of the entire process. It's really beautiful. I love it. It's for us, it makes a huge difference. Just FYI boards, <laughs> it's nice. We have a, a few minutes left. I would just love to hear from 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 all of you. Like, what's what are some things you're excited about now going forward? Just in terms of, you know, what are the slivers of hope in this kind of dark moment about how do we really, you know, things that could happen for our organizations, for our field, coming out of all this. I, I guess I, I'm ex just this week. I'm excited that people know what the word word accountability means. Um, I don't think most folks understood what that word meant. Um, and, and we haven't seen it yet, but just the fact that they've heard the word and they had to think about the difference between, you know, solidarity and accountability um, is huge. And I don't know, that gives me a lot of hope that if we can finally understand that in our theater world are such, you know, as much as I'm being hard on theater, they are such lovely people that really care so deeply. Um, and, and so about everything. <laughs> They're very empathetic people. And so the fact that they're, I see this at the TCG conference, so many people finally, finally, like in these chats going, oh, I, I never understood that. I never understood what accountability, I never understood the difference between thought and action, the intention and, 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 and work, you know, and doing something and um, which, you know, we could say, oh, that's sad. But I'm, I'm excited that there's a whole new vocabulary that we've opened up because of the really horrible things that are happening in the world. But I, I feel like that's um, from our theater field, it's causing them to have to look at everything and um, in from that lens. And that's, that's pretty exciting. I hope it makes a lot of change and a lot of action as opposed to intention. I'm excited about what's to be born from this. Um, I'm excited about what this moment of reflection means in terms of the art, prototyping new ways to think about art. And I don't just mean like the virtual Zoom world, I mean like really like what is a play? What is the most exciting and compelling way to connect with the communities that we live in? And what does it mean if we take the art outside of the walls of the mausoleum? Um, and that I've participated in so many conversations where people are forced to think about that in a different way. Um, that I, I just, I think that we are on the cusp of an incredible time of invention, of creativity, of innovation and of possibility. And as a futurist, I'm here for it, right? Like I'm here for all of it. Carly things here. Yeah, no, that both of you, that's beautiful. I, uh, I am excited to that this time will hopefully allow us to go back to our core of storytelling um, and, and maybe get rid of all the frivolous that we have built up and just really what is what are those stories that we want to tell and and grow and expand the stories that we are telling for our communities about our communities. That's really exciting 
to me on, on all levels, I hope, but just go back to the core of what we do for our, for our communities that we live in. I do, I do love it. That question has been thrust upon us, right? That they're like, okay, you can't do giant shows in a 600 seat theater. So who are you? You know, and you're like, oh, uh, uh, give me a moment. I, that, I, that was all we were, you know, but actually it's not all we were, but it is, that was deep down inside, you know, what we were. So now we have to figure out who are we to our community, right? How to, how to do other things. How do we serve them? What was actually served by those shows? Can we do that in a different way, right? Like, is the only, right, to your point, is the only way to do what we do th through $400,000 productions? If so, it's over, you know? So what are we, how, what are other ways we can still accomplish connecting and reflecting our community in different ways? And that, like, that, that is the question of the hour, right? Well, I want to thank all of you so much for coming on. You're so great and honest. And the fact that you did this after, a conference that I think was pretty much like on Zoom straight for like, you know, up at eight in the morning, late at night. With you, you know. on the 8 a.m. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, they ditched this conference being in Phoenix the second it was over and went right back to East Coast time. Thanks, TCG. And so, yeah, no, uh, but I just, I know that when people are busy, I know you get asked to do a lot of these, um, but it's just so important for us and for our community to understand better, like, what is our field? Like, what are we a part of? And I think for, you know, now that we have this larger platform. So thank you both so much for being here. I thank you, Carly, for co-hosting. Thank you. You did and an amazing job. Yeah. <laughs> I just love listening. Larissa, Hannah, even though we just met through Zoom, it was a great pleasure and um, an inspiration to see, you know, women of color taking on this industry and leading it. So thank you both so much for your work and, and go. Uh, and next week coming up, we have Raymond Carr, who is a fantastic puppeteer with the Henson Company, right? That's fun, right? Maybe he'll bring some puppets with him. And Reggie White, who's one of the actors from The Inheritance. So you know that he is very skinny and attractive. Uh, so we have that to look forward to next week. Anyway, thank you all so much for watching Hang and Focus Live, and we'll see you next week.